Hey everybody, that was Bandmade. I'm Bo Ransdell, and this is Hero Hero Go Show. Today we take our first peek into the world of technological horrors popularized by films like Ringu and Pulse. This time we're focusing on the 2002 film Phone from South Korea, a story of ghosts and possession revolving around a Motorola phone and the attached number. Joining me to unblock this particular caller is Ricky Morgan of the Hail Mean Power Hour, one of the newest shows here on the Legion Podcast Network, and to the best of my knowledge, the only show to feature Mickey Mouse narrated movie synopses. <laughs> R- Ricky, take a bow and tell me what I got wrong. <laughs> I think you pretty much nailed it. it even made me laugh. Uh, yeah, man, tickled to do this. This is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, not necessarily J-Har, but K-Har. How about that? You know, I... I almost feel bad because Asian horror uh, tends to be all lumped together. I, I do try to make a point on the show of saying, like, this film is from Thailand or Hong Kong or, or Korea. And because there are just cultural differences between countries that, you know, natively a Westerner such as myself, who's real dumb in the head, uh, oftentimes lumps together. And And one of the things I want to do with the show is... Uh, to sort of separate those out and say, like, no, Japanese horror is different from Korean horror. There Absolutely. are, yeah, I mean, there's definitely similarities. Uh, but as as we've talked about uh, already on this show, um, particularly with like Korea and Thailand and Hong Kong, there's a, a sort of a modern a modernity, if I can uh, pronounce the word, uh, much less use it. And um, it, it's it, it's very distinct, you know. Like uh, the the episode prior to this one was uh, about Juan. Which yeah. is a very Japanese, like that yeah. is as Japanese ass Japanese horror movie. Absolutely. Um, and and this is uh, phone. I would argue is it certainly feels more Western. Yes. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that uh, I've said this earlier to to some other folks talking about the movie, and it really fits in with like the Changeling with George C. Scott. It's it's yeah. that kind of feeling movie, and and. Uh, and I will say, being that we're talking about these, and of course the Japanese were the big ones that kind of hit first, but my favorite movies of, of this genre are the Korean ones. You know, I kind of go back and forth. Um, it depends on, you know, it's really film specific to me, but I think that you're right. That I think Korean films uh, in particular tend to feel like they're pulling from a, a tradition that you might be unfamiliar with. But they present themselves in very modern Western ways. Yes. You know? Um, like, Shudder is the one I, I always go back to because I love that movie so, so oh, much. Oh, yeah. It's great. Ugh. Love it. Um, but that's a movie that feels foreign enough to make it interesting and not your typical fare. But it never feels, like, obtuse in its references and so forth. And, um, yeah. And, and Phone Falls you know, into that category for me as well, where I, well, all right, let, let's start with this. When you're watching this movie, it opens up with a damn, uh, Disney logo. Right. That, I saw that earlier and I was like, what in the world is going on here? <laughs> yeah. And you Buen, know, Buena Vista. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like Buena Vista sunk some money into this. And, um, and I, the other is, uh, toilet pictures, which toilet is pictures, <laughs> uh, which is the director's production company. Um, and uh, it, just a <laughs> a brief note on toilet pictures because I found that very very funny. Yeah. Um, the uh, the director. It, okay. Yeah. yeah it's uh, on Byung Ki, 
um, who did Nightmare and uh, Benshinbura or, you know, uh, Witchboard or Ouija Board. It's a bunch of different titles. Right. Um, and Apartment was uh, sort of his uh, quadrilogy. Right. Um, he named his production company Toilet Pictures because there's some weird play on words with the, the name in uh, Korea. And also because he he said that he felt like people are most vulnerable in toilets. <laughs> and in fact, there's a scene in uh, Bunshinbara that is set in a in a toilet stall. Yeah. And I, I mean, it's just one of those weird things where you're like, yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. Yes. Just but, different different culture. <laughs> yeah, but but toilet pictures has a connotation in the West where you're like, you know it. it like, this should be the production company of, like, Gigi Allen. Right. <laughs> so, that is the first of many Gigi Allen references on this show tonight. Wow. <laughs> um, well, it's funny because if you look at it, I guess here, you know, you may, would, it, being it's toilet, you'd probably be vulnerable pictures, you know, something like that that would get a, the point across of what he's actually saying there. So who knows? Yeah, yeah. It, but definitely, it, it catches your attention when you turn it on for sure, though. Absolutely. And the other thing that is uh, is great about the opening credit sequence, other than the Buena Vista and toilet stuff, um, <laughs> <laughs> and toilet stuff, by the way, is uh, a different podcast entirely. Um <laughs> Coming soon. Yeah, coming soon. Toilet stuff. Uh, but it it feels really slick and polished. Like, right yes. from jump, this is this is a movie that kind of lets you know that you're in the hands of, uh, at, at the very least, a producer uh, right. that is that knows what's up. Like, yep. you're here to be entertained. Right. Um, and, and we're going to give you a pretty polished piece of entertainment. Again, to go back to last week where we talked about Juwan, that's... That's a very eh, low budget, yeah. you know, kind of shoestring production in comparison to something like this. That's got like you know fancy title effects and whatnot, right? And this film is really beautiful. I mean, after seeing it, watching it one time and getting the story is one thing. Going back and watching it again and watching the cinematography is really, really nice. Yeah, it's it's a very pretty movie to look at, and um, yeah, it. And it moves well. Like this, yeah. this is a movie that my my biggest complaint with the film is. I think sometimes the pacing is almost too quick. Yeah. Um, but we'll get we'll get to that. We're as we <laughs> wander our way through the plot. But um, so the movie opens uh, with an elevator sequence, right? Uh, and we and later we kind of get the the backstory on this, but it's basically. Um, uh, a young lady in an elevator. Uh, she hits the thirteenth floor, which you know here here in the states we don't have a whole lot of thirteenth floors, right? But uh, people on the fourteenth floor, you know what floor you're really on, right? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, who's bullshitting here? Uh, but <laughs> if you yeah. jump if you, if you jump out the window, you're going to die quicker. Yeah, what is that? Uh, an old Mitch Hedberg. Mitch Hedberg. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Uh, yeah, it's. Uh, it's funny because uh, I think four is uh, I don't know that they avoid fourth floors, but in Japan, uh, four mm. is a really unlucky number. Ah, yeah. So you know, we as I've said on this show before, we try to be edutainment. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so you know, we don't want you to learn too much, uh, but a little bit here and there. Um, but yeah, so we've got we've got this big elevator sequence. 
where uh, we see the Motorola phone, and God forbid that you should ever forget in this movie that your <laughs> that Motorola isn't sinking a few bucks into this here and there. Right. Uh, it is all over the place, and also for 2002. And I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just I'm I'm misremembering because I'm old and addle minded. But uh, it seemed kind of like a chintzy phone even for 2002. Maybe not. Uh, I, I think it's about right, actually. Um, you were starting to see more of the the other style, the opening up type phones, you know, with the long keyboard and stuff. But that was right around that point. Yeah, I guess so. I just when I see it now, I'm like, you know, if we had a smartphone, this this movie would probably not take place. Right. Um, yeah. But uh, but yeah, so we see a young girl in an elevator. Uh, she she's trying to get to the thirteenth floor. Uh, she see the the elevator stops at one point, and uh, she sees an apparition through the uh, the glass of the elevator. Right. And uh, and then the elevator uh, just starts dropping. And, uh, and there is scary music happening and, and then that's kind of it that they slam into the credits, uh, right. to let you know, like, Hey, this, you know, we're, we're not screwing around here, people. <laughs> this, this is going to be spooky. Right. And then of course it jumps straight to another phone ringing where you've got, uh, Jawan, she's, you know, running on the treadmill. And then, then the phones start ringing nonstop throughout the rest of this movie. You could start a drinking game on this one, folks. Every time you hear a phone ring. You'll be toasted by twenty minutes into the film. Yeah, and by by the end of the movie, you're going to be clinically dead. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, yeah, it's it's rough work if you're going to go that way with it. But you know, give it a shot, I guess. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm not recommending you do it. I'm just saying, I'm not telling you not to. Um, but yeah, yeah. So it it's weird because this movie takes some interesting turns, uh, and and we start with. Um, uh, Juwan is, uh, a, a reporter and she has just blown the lid off of a sex scandal, yeah. uh, involving pedophilia and, and, um, some higher ups. Uh, one of them is a, uh, a psychologist, right. Um, taking advantage of underage patients, which, you know, uh, we'll, we'll circle back around to pedophilia here in a bit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he does have the coolest name, though, Doctor Jaw. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Doctor Jaw. Yeah, yeah. I I would almost be afraid of seeing a psychologist uh, with that name. Like that's a little too aggressive for me. I mean, like you know, Doctor Elmo or something, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, but yeah, she brings down just a, a a big number of of like you said some some highfalutin folks there, and it causes a big controversy and. So she starts getting all these threats, right? You know, on the phone calls, and everybody's calling her, sending her emails, threatening to kill her, and all this stuff. So she decides, like anybody would, to kind of, kind of disappear. You know, change her phone number, change her address, get out of town, all that good stuff. Yeah, yeah, and and we see that there is somebody very clearly spying on her and following her. Yeah, presumably uh, someone who has been affected by this sex scandal. Um, and is, is out to get revenge. And so the beginning of the movie almost plays like a scream style thriller. Right. Um, where, uh, Juwan says, uh, she goes to her, uh, her sister and her sister's husband. And okay. I'm glad you said sister because everything I looked at said friend. And I was like, man, it sure seems like they're sisters. 
Yeah, that was always my impression anyway. I, me, I, me too. I, and that just kind of threw me because, you know, even the little girl calls her aunt, you know. And right. then every, everything I look up, it always says her friend. I'm like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Plus, uh, and not to get too far ahead of ourselves, if you're going to go slinging around your, your eggs, you would yeah. think that you would probably do that with a blood relation. Right. Uh, I don't know. Uh, but, I, yeah, sister is, is definitely the read I had, and, and part of it is the ant thing, but uh, um, I, just, I don't know. I, I mean, I, it just never struck me that they were just friends. Yeah, me either. Um, but, and it's, all right. <laughs> so, uh, I'll, I'll save that for a second. But uh, she... Like you said, you know, she's, uh, she's gonna change her, her phone number. She's looking for a place to hide out. She doesn't really have a place in mind. And, um, her sister's husband, uh, Cheng Hoon, um, says, Hey, why don't you, uh, stay at this house we have that we've had for about a year and we just haven't bothered to completely remodel and move in yet because we're waiting. I guess the, the, the reasoning behind why they're not in this house seems a little thin to me. Yeah. Uh, uh, because I don't care who you are. If you've got it, very few people have extra houses. Yeah. Uh, much less. Like, this house is in perfectly working order. It's got a security system. You know, it's got plenty of room. Uh, and they're just not living there because they said they're, like, waiting for their daughter to get bigger or something stupid like that. Yeah. Um, I, I don't quite buy it. But, um, so, but she agrees. She says, "Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll hang out at uh, Bang Bai, uh, right. is is the name of the street." And um, so, uh, and her sister is is uh, Ho Jung, right? And then uh, Cheng Hoon, and then we've got Young uh, Ju, Young Ju, yeah. Which you're going to hear that a lot uh, yeah. in this movie, but but it's always awesome. So every time I would I would use like voice recognition, I was taking my notes, and it would always bring up Young Jeezy. So I may call her Young Jeezy from time to time. I totally understand. <laughs> um, if only he had done the soundtrack for the for this film, that would have kicked it. Yep, yep. Uh, young Jeezy with a maybe a title song by Kendrick Lamar, just you know to mix it up. <laughs> but uh, uh, so she on her way to the house, she gets tailed by the mysterious. Guy who's been uh, following her. Heck yeah! And, and it turns turns into like a Steve McQueen movie all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, all of a sudden, bullet happens for about two minutes in this movie, <laughs> where she's swinging her car around a semi, and the guy's getting cut off, and he's calling her. And he's like, "Hey, you really know how to drive," uh, which was great. And um, one of the things that's kind of distinct about this movie that is is different from a lot of uh, like Japanese horror is that um, the female characters in this movie are are absolutely the most important characters, right? You know, and and that's something that uh, we talk about when we when we discuss Japanese horror movies on on this show quite a bit. Is a lot of the Japanese um, female characters just never seem to have any agency in the story. And this is totally the opposite. Like there's right. there's basically a dude, or basically right. two guys in the in the whole movie that matter. Right. And you know, and they only matter in the context of the story that's unfolding with the women. Um, I only mention that as a kind of a point of comparison, but it it was I I like seeing that. I like strong female characters, and uh, NG One is certainly that. Um, so we uh. 
we get to the house and she starts redecorating in a way that seems rude. Well, hold on first. Okay, <laughs> this, okay. This is this is my uh not trying to be racist but racist joke. So uh when she gets there, the first thing she does is sits at the piano. And what does a Korean girl play on piano? Fair enough, yeah. Chopsticks. Yep. <laughs> I I do really like that scene, though, because uh, she does make a production of, of beginning to play. I think it's kind of a funny gag. Right. She's and, like doing a Liberace kind of warm-up kind of thing. Right. <laughs> right. And then it turns into chopsticks. And, yeah, yeah it's really silly and, and, and weird. Uh, <laughs> but I just fell over laughing when it was chopsticks because I was like, oh, man, that's just so wrong. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I I wonder if anyone on the production was like, guys, are you aware that chopsticks are maybe one of the top five most associated objects for Asia in general? Yeah. Um, Yeah, somebody should have said something. Where was Disney in this? Why wasn't Eisner writing a letter? Uh, There's no telling. There's no telling. You probably hear that. You played what? <laughs> or, or more likely, we produced what? <laughs> uh, yeah, Jerry in accounting said he really liked cell phone movies. It worked for Tom Hanks. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, you're right. So, and and like I said, she she's talking to her sister. Or, or, you know, her friend, if you want to believe the internet, <laughs> uh, which I never recommend. Uh, but she, so she's talking to Ho Jung and, uh, you know, Ho Jung's like, hey, you know, you can sleep in my room. And she's like, nah, that's for you and your husband. I'm going to, you know, there's the, the room upstairs. I'm going to chill up there. Right. And, uh, and Ho Jung's like, well, you know, that's not really finished. And. You probably more be more comfortable elsewhere, and she's like, "No, no, no, I got this." And then begins hanging pictures everywhere, which, like I said, is is one of those things where if I if I were renting my place out like an Airbnb thing, and I came back and somebody had hung some pictures around, I would be like, "Whoa, this is not part of our deal. You were ju- <laughs> you were just squatting here. This is not right. You, you are under no obligation to put your stamp on things." Yeah. Um. But. Uh, so we move from the uh oh okay so we get the first of the possessed laptop scenes here too right where the matrix invades her laptop and yep. shows her the number 6644 yep and that is it yeah yeah so uh it and this happens a couple of times but this was one of the first times in the film where I was like, yeah, are you sure you want to use the Matrix font for this? Yeah. Uh, you know, that's... It's kind of been done. <laughs> yeah, and everyone kind of knows it, but all right. It, yeah. it basically looks like she's her computer is uh, taken over by the Matrix screensaver that was popular for a while. Right. Uh, yeah. She gets the number, and of course, at, that, at this point, she's thinking either somebody has, you know, gotten into a computer and, and you know... Started messing with things, so she takes it to some kind of IT service or whatever, and see if they can see if they can straighten it out. Yeah, and and they basically are like, "Hey, we've never seen this before, but it seems right. okay." Um, and, and and okay, so we've got to get a new phone too, right? So uh, when she goes to get the phone, um, only one number is available to her. 
the uh, the attendant at the Motorola store, one one presumes, um, is like, hey, I don't know what's going on. We we've just got one number that we can give you, and uh, and Juwan, to her credit, is like, hey, it's fate. Go ahead and give me that number. Right. Which is, uh, of course, either a mistake or <laughs> the reason for the movie. You be the judge. Right. Um. Go yeah, ahead. you you could kind of say at this point it it really seems like it could have went either way because was it fate or was it just chance? You know, chance that this happened this way. But obviously, to me, it's fate. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that this is the first, well, not first, but one of the uh, initial touches of the supernatural. Where because she's staying where she is and so forth that right. um, the the vengeful ghost is like, hey, you got to get this number. Uh, so a, I can haunt the shit out of you, and uh, and b, maybe you know we we can get some resolution here, which is you know again a a, a bit of a contrast with um, something like Juan because that's just a haunting that happens and you can't do shit about it. Right. Uh, and this one, this is much more the traditional. Stir of echoes, the changeling, you know, you know, avenge me, kind of thing. Right, the wrong, <laughs> right? It's yeah, Red Dawn, avenge me, boys. <laughs> All right, I forgot about that. <laughs> Honestly, that's how uh, I start my day every morning. So roll out of bed, avenge me, boys, and I have my coffee. Wolverine, <laughs> yeah. Uh, (laughs) um oh yeah so um (laughs) so there's also um like some creepy long hair imagery uh that that asserts itself uh shortly hereafter um where she's having she's having some spooky dreams and whatnot seeing some shit yeah um which you know tends to happen um and kind of hard to distinguish what's real, what's not. You know, they're kind of pulling that thing with you as well. But yeah, the, the, that imagery I think was was pretty dang spooky. You got, uh, you know, uh, she walks by the bedroom and it's sitting on the bed and it's got that long black train, long black train. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean it's it's pretty startling, and it's that reminds me more of what you see in more of the Japanese stuff, and uh, and then it's just a flash. So, yeah, it's yeah, that, that that's where you get into the, you know, the grander traditions of uh, like Onryo and, and things like that of, of the yep. vengeful, long haired spirits. Uh, right. But th- this definitely is doing its own thing. It's not a, a total um, a, a total rip off of that stuff or a, not rip off. I mean, it it's, comes from the culture. It's not. How can you steal that? It would be like an American movie that featured McDonald's and was somebody like, yeah, we've seen that. Right. Um, you and your it, absolutely, yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, all right, so we we get to kind of the critical uh, moment in the movie, or one of, the big inciting incident, if you will, um, in which uh, we have um, Jiwon and uh, Hojong and Youngju, and the, yeah, looking at the at the art, and they're yes. in the art house, yeah. Right. And we also established here that that um, Ho Jung is uh, an artist, um, and you know Juwon's kind of given her a little static about you know you don't really do art anymore. You're just kind of t- taking care of the family and so forth. And uh, and Ho Jung, 
you know, brushes her off and like, I'm fine with that. I'm, you know, art is, art's what, uh, I, I, I appreciate art, but you know, my life is a different thing now. Well, and it's a very key point right here too, because it really establishes what happens later. But she says family life is more important than anything else. And, uh, boy, she means it. (laughs) Yeah. And, and we get multiple scenes of her, like, uh, setting out her husband's suit and, and getting the, you know, the proper handkerchief for him and all kinds of stuff. Like she is, you know, pretty much the perfect mother slash wife. Right. Uh, in this film, um, up until she's not. And, uh, but so, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, Young Ju ends up, uh, answering the phone. Right. And, uh, and before where we've had all this weird stuff with, you know, like callers, uh, on, on Jinwo's phone, um, then, th- or Jiwon's phone, uh, this is the, like, sh- it's almost like the, the Stephen King, uh, Stephen King book sell, you know, right. where the little girl listens to the phone and then just loses her shit. Right. And of course, the sit up there too is, is, uh, uh Jawan goes and turns her phone off because it goes off and it's disrupting everybody there and they're, you know, it's like, uh, you know, uh, something you don't do. You make sure it's, it's turned off. You don't want to disturb anybody looking at the art. So she kind of apologizes and puts it back. Then it rings, you know, yeah. and that's when, that's when Young Ju picks it up. And like you said, the faces she starts making is, is insane. Yeah. And, uh, let me, let me find this actress's name real quick. Um, it is, um, dang, I just had it. Young So Wu. Yeah. So Young So Wu, who, uh, is a child at the time <laughs> that this movie comes out, uh, or, you know, stars in the, in the film. Um, she is really something in this. Unbelievable. I've, I've never seen a kid actor do what this kid does. It blows my mind every time I see it. Yeah. And I mean, it's one of those things that, you know, it, it doesn't matter like what, what country or, you know, the fact that there are subtitles or any of that. I mean, she is one of the best child actors I've ever seen on film. I'm going to say the best because the intensity that she has, I, I just, I don't, I don't understand how she can do that. And, and it's pure acting. I mean, it's not like, you know, watching the kid in the omen and he's just, you know, no, mommy, no. I mean, this, this girl's throwing it on now. She's a better actor than anybody in a movie. <laughs> she really is. Uh, yeah, she's amazing. There, there are some moments, um, that one later on in particular where she's talking about princesses. Yeah. And it is, it, it's kind of, it's a very funny scene while it's, really unsettling. It's funny because it's not your kid. If it was your kid, you'd be like, okay, yeah, we got to get an exorcist in here. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, or, or you just drown her in the crick and start <laughs> over. She's not that old. <laughs> oh, what's the difference in culture? <laughs> yeah. Like here, in, here in the States, we drown them. Um, so, uh, but yeah, she, she has a bit of a freak out for sure. And we, we move, uh, to this section of the film that, that's really interesting where we see more of 
uh, like Ho Jung's home life, and also um, with uh, her husband, that uh, they're, you know, obviously worried about the little girl because the little girl starts acting um, pretty creepy. Right. Um, just a little, uh, not violent yet, but she doesn't seem to have a lot of time for her mother. And she seems to be really into her father all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, that's putting it lightly. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, there, it, it's the notion of uh, uh, the Electra complex to an extent. It, you know, we're playing with that. And in fact, they, they ultimately, you know, take her to a, a psychologist. And the psychologist is just like, yeah, 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 she's pushing the mother away. She's starting to have these romantic feelings towards her father because she loves her father and it's just developmental and give it some time and she's going to be okay. <laughs> Nothing to worry about that your daughter wants to, uh, you know, run away and marry her dad. No, no problem there. Here well, in the South, it's pretty normal. Oh, are you kidding me? That's, you know, you go back two generations and my tree, family tree is just straight. <laughs> <laughs> the limbs are all up top. <laughs> but um, after going to the psychologist, there's a, a really great scene where uh, uh, the, the girl is, uh, you know, saying goodbye to her father who's about to take off for work. Right. And she plants one on him. Like, if a girl <laughs> kissed me like this, I would be like, what is up? <laughs> Yeah, man, she just lip locks him like you wouldn't believe, and then she just starts screaming at the mom and flailing her arms, and it's it's incredible. I mean, it it really takes you back, and you go, "Holy crap, this yeah. is nuts!" Yeah, it's it's really great. Like it's it's uncomfortable because you're watching a very young girl exhibit, you know, very physical romantic over uh, overtones towards her father, right? Um, and that's never cool. Yeah, I mean, and again, and again, it's the fact of her being this age that she's at, and being able to pull this stuff off. It still is just absolutely amazing. It's not, it's not a peck on the cheek, folks. Right? You, you, no, she, she gets in it, and uh, there's no tongue. But I mean, you're three seconds away from seeing a tongue right. before this kiss ends. Yeah, uh, it's it's really amazing, um, and not you know in the sexy way. It's just creepy. Uh, but, uh, but going back to, uh, uh, Jiwon for a second, we also have, uh, the first really obvious supernatural thing that happens in the film. Um, aside from, you know, the, the creepy daughter, uh, young Jiwon being, a, you know, a little frisky with daddy. <laughs> uh, but, uh, Jiwon is... Uh, driving one night near her house or the house she's staying in. Yeah. And complete downpour. Yes. I mean, the weather, I mean, it's just raining like you wouldn't believe. Well, and it's Christmas. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's what happens there. <laughs> so, you get snow for about four seconds in one scene and the rest of the time it's just raining. Uh, and looks terrible. It, it's so gloomy. Uh, but, we get uh, a girl standing um, on the corner of the road, you know, in the downpour. And Jiwon being, you know, a, a stand-up citizen, pauses, you know, breaks the car and, and lets the girl uh, in. 
and is the girl is um all wrapped up in a scarf so you don't see her mouth or anything you just see you know top of her head right and of course in that that whole thing i mean it's it's really creepy cuz she just comes in she doesn't say a word and uh Jiwon is asking you know which way do we need to turn where do we need to go all these kind of questions just to start some kind of conversation. She never says a word. She just points at what direction to turn. <laughs> yeah. You know, like that wouldn't freak you out. But, uh, so she turns and then they make a sharp curve and sharp turn to the left. And it looks like a body standing there in front of her. Right. And then she like plows into it. She thinks she slams on the brakes and it's actually the image you see is the same girl that's sitting in the car. So she jumps out and runs to the front of the car, looks around, can't find her anywhere. So obviously she didn't hit anything, even looked under the car. And then when she looked back into the seat of the car in the passenger side, there's nobody sitting there. Yep. So and that, uh, that's I, when you move to another continent. <laughs> we we call that in horror movies getting ghost hitchhikered. Uh, <laughs> and she gets it uh, with both barrels uh, in, yep. in this movie. Um but yeah, so, uh, and then, uh, just a, a little bit later, uh, she's checking herself out in the mirror once she gets home and she's, you know, thinking, thinking back on all the, the ghost hitchhikering that just happened to her. And she sees a reflection in the mirror. And this was actually one of my favorite effect shots of the movie. Yeah, it's good. It really is. Uh, some, there's some really crappy CGI in some of these movies. This is really, really solid, uh, where you see, um, the, the ghostly face of the hitchhiker, you know, begin to appear. Yeah. And, uh, it, it's real good. So and don't, for, don't forget too, at the same time, she's at the sink and she, she's trying to get the water to come out of the sink and it, and it, there's no pressure. It's like stopped up and then all of a sudden it just and blows out and it blows a chunk of hair out. Yeah. 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 Uh, because the, the long dark hair, uh, on the back end, after we get done talking, talking about this, mo- uh, the plot of this movie, um, there is actually a weird tradition with long hair, not just the, the, the uh, Japanese stuff that we talked about with Juan, but, um, there is a specific sort of Korean, uh, um, interpretation of long hair. Uh, but at any rate, we'll get to that. It's a teaser. Oh. <laughs> All right. I like to tease information, Ricky. Um, <laughs> So, uh, all right. So we also are involving a detective, um, in this story and the detective is purely there so that we can get, um, some, some backstory on this phone number because the, the calls are continuing to happen. There's all, uh, not just the, the calls from the guy that we saw at the beginning of the movie, but you know, the weird scratchy stuff and all that. And, she goes to the detective and is like, "Hey, so what's up with my phone number?" And after a little a little legwork, uh, we realize that the past two owners of the phone um, have died. Right. And yeah. all right, and this is the point uh, again. Just inserting a little bit of logic. <laughs> if you knew that, how fast would you be calling your carrier to change that number? Right. And so does the detective even tell her to do this? No. What does he do? He gives her a taser. Right. <laughs> you might Here, need this. This will help. Yeah. Yeah. And in fairness, it never helps her at all. <laughs> just right. like just like the detective. Right. Um Oh, it's so good. 
So, well, and the other thing too, and that, and that it took me a while to figure out who he was because there is no real introduction. They just start talking, and uh, of course, I'm an Italian fan. So, what I love about the Italian movies, they go, "Hmm, so you're a detective, huh? Yes, that's right." So they just come out and blatantly say it. And in this one, you're kind of guessing, and then you know, 45 minutes in the movie, when something happens, they go, "Detective," and you're like, "Oh, that's what he is." Okay. <laughs> So it, that, that that's another thing that kind of confuses me on some of these is sometimes they're not clear about who people are at times. And then at the end, you have to go back and kind of piece it back together. Okay, okay, I got it. I got who it is. So Yeah, and I, all right, let's, let's jump to the scene um, that I think is the most confusing of all. Because there was a, a, a solid five minutes where it's trying to figure out if it ever happened. But it's the scene where uh, Juwan Stalker finally shows up in the flesh. Yeah. And there's this rooftop scene. This is where we get snow for, you know, two and a half seconds before that goes away and just starts raining again. Right. In the middle of a thunderstorm, you get snow. I was like, okay, there's thunder, there's lightning, and snow. Yeah, it's a snowstorm, Ricky. Come on. Jeez. <laughs> um, uh, but, so, all right, so he tracks her down. They kind of scuffle on this rooftop. She ends up getting knocked off the side, but grabs the uh, the scaffolding right. uh, along the side of the building, and uh, her stalker is like, "Yeah, this is you know, this is the end of Juwan," and um, you know, like stabs one of her hands or or hits one of her hands to knock it free, so right. she's clinging by one hand, and this is where it pays not to be easily distracted. Because our stalker hears her phone going off. Right. <laughs> and rather than finish the job he's there to do, he picks it up. Right. And sure enough, he gets uh, ghostified. Yeah. Uh, his, uh, his, his brain has turned to mush. Yes. And so he flips out and, and what goes over the side, right? And uh, Or does he just lose his shit? Uh, yeah, he, yeah. He just loses it and he drops, and you know she's she's going to get out of there as soon as she can figure out how to get back up. I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so she and and this is the point because it like this scene kind of comes out of nowhere, and then it happens, and then you cut away from it, and like it's never mentioned again. Right. And I was like, well, did so did that happen? Did he really get killed by the ghost, or what? And yeah. and and he, it turns out yes, but yeah. It's it's one of those moments, unlike uh, um, you know something like Shutter, which I don't feel is terribly confusing or any, right, anything. Right. But there are some moments in this where it's like, so who's that now? You know, like the thing with the detective in the rooftop scene. Exactly. Like, where, where did? Yep. Did did it? It feels like it feels like a giallo. I mean, it really does because you're having these characters thrown at you. You're like, I don't even know if this person has any other reason to be in this movie besides the fact of just throwing something else in there to try to throw you off. Yeah. Well, it's like the detective getting stabbed. Right. Um, which happens. Spoilers. Um, like, yeah. like any of this is not a giant spoiler for this movie. But um, yeah, so he, he ends up getting stabbed at one point in the film and uh, goes to the hospital and Jiwon kind of, you know, tracks him down there. He's like, is he going to be okay? And they're like, we don't know. He's going into surgery. End of detective. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> you never know. Yeah. Like, did he make it? Did he pull through? What's going on with his family? Are his kids all right? 
Um, yeah, like, I have a lot of questions about this detective. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's when I, and that's when I found out he was a detective because she went detective. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't know if he was a boyfriend, or just a you know a, a good good Samaritan, somebody with some insight from from Motorola. I didn't know. You know, He's, he works for Motorola customer service. <laughs> Sorry about that one phone number that we could give you. Here's a taser in case it's tied to a ghost. Uh, <laughs> that's good customer service. It's, that's right. You have to pay a little extra for the, the ghost clause in the contract, but it's worth every penny. Motorola, we've got your back. <laughs> right. <laughs> Haunted by vengeful spirits? Motorola's here to help. Uh-oh, I hear a commercial coming on. Oh, I know. <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm just hoping they give me a little cheddar for this show. <laughs> sure. Motorola phones. Almost ghost-proof. Not 100%. In fairness. But but what is? 99.9% uh, .9 ghost-proof. <laughs> right. <laughs> Every now and again, you're gonna get, you know, a phone snuck in on you. But, uh, you know, it happens. Uh, so. <laughs> Alright, so, like, uh, uh, so Young Jiu... I'm sorry. I, I, go ahead. No, go ahead. That's a, no, no, that's fine. I was just trying to see where we were, too, because we kind of jumped a little bit there, but that's, we, that's probably why. So We did. I just I had to get that detective thing off my chest. Yeah, it's crazy. It's it's one of the most bizarre things in the movie. I mean, you're watching a movie about ghosts, and this thing just, it, it, like I said, it's almost like you change the channel for a little bit and then come back to the movie you were watching. Yeah, yeah. It's just, hey, hey, remember at the beginning of the movie where there was this whole sex scandal? Um, this guy's yeah. from that. Welcome, yeah. welcome to the other part of the movie. <laughs> uh, so she begins her investigation of this phone number, the, of the haunted phone number. And that leads her, uh, we, we get, there was a taxi driver who ended up, um, you know, just basically committing suicide is, is sort of the, the rumor. Um, but really it was just like, hey, he saw, you know, haunted hitchhiker. And uh, and takes a dump into uh, a wall, and that's never good. Yeah. And then we also get the backstory of the girl in the elevator, who they say had a heart attack. Uh, you know, basically scared to death. Right. Um, which for a long time I thought was was sort of a bullshit excuse for that kind of stuff. But as I get older and and you know I start thinking about the weakness of my own ticker, I'm like, sure. you you know, you give me the yeah. right jolt. I'm yeah. I'm probably going down. Yeah, um, I, I I totally agree. I mean, it, it's something you don't think about when you're a younger person, but hey, you can literally be scared to death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just your heart's hammering so fast that it just you know explodes. Yep. Um, and and then we get back to the the orig the origin of the phone number, which is a, a girl named Jin Hee. And so we're, now we're investigating Jin Hee. And Jin Hee um, is a crazy person. He <laughs> was a young girl in high school. Uh, most importantly, crazy person. And her, uh, she ends up, uh, very clearly she's having an affair with an older man. And her... Uh, her best friend, uh, who is teaching her to play like Moonlight Sonata, which is, you know, the mu piece of music that recurs throughout the film. Yep. Um, we're doing, uh, Moonlight Sonata and, you know, the friend is like, you need to be more passionate. Um, and of course, uh, the friend also, 
comes across Jinhee's notebook, uh, her, you know, I love this older guy notebook where she uh, writes all her crazy plans and crazy ideas. And we also discover that, uh, oh, and, and she's bought two cell phones with the same last four digits. Right. Uh, for her, her mis- mystery lover. Which, considering there's only like five people in this movie, it's not that big a mystery, but, right. um, you know, what are you going to do? And <laughs> in addition to finding, uh, you know, notes about this phone and how much she loves this guy, there's a pregnancy test taped into the book. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> are you sure about that one? Yes, yes. It's right here. So, uh, and she t- And she tells the girl, too, if you tell anybody this, I will kill you. That's what I was getting to. That's the point where I was like, oh my god, this is like, if, if you saw the origin of Glenn Close's character from Fatal right. Attraction, it's, right. it's that character. You knew she didn't just say it. She meant it. Yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you tell anybody, I will kill you, period. Yes. <laughs> I, and like she stops just short of saying, like, I will put my hands around your neck and I will squeeze it until the light goes out in your eyes so I can feel like a god. Right. I mean, that is, she is absolutely kookaburra in this film. Um, and we also discover that Jinhee has gone missing. Right. At, at some point. And <laughs> so she, yeah, cause Xiaowen goes up to her, her mother, I guess it is, and starts talking to her about, you know, the tracing the number down and she talks about her daughter being missing. So, like all great parents of children that are missing, does they let her wander through her, run her through her stuff in her bedroom? <laughs> right. Would you still like haven't to figured go- that out? <laughs> yeah. Would you like to go all, through all of her personal effects? And I like given Jiwon's uh, penchant for decorating homes she doesn't own and so forth. I, I wasn't that surprised by her actions in the, in this scene. You know, I think you're right. I think the mother probably should have stepped in and be like, "Hey, you know." This is kind of uh, a sensitive topic for me since my daughter's still missing, and I don't know that I want you rifling through all her stuff necessarily. Right. Um, but we we get to um, the, the uh, so Juwan finally tracks down uh, Jin He's friend. Right. And there's a great flashback scene. Where, uh, and this is probably my, my favorite sequence in the movie is the, the, the bit with her friend. Um, yeah. because, uh, she, Jin He's friend is starting to get creepy phone calls after Jin He's disappearance. Yeah. Uh, to the point where, like, even though she's turned off her phone, it's ringing and she's in a class and, uh, we see a little bit of the strict, uh, teaching. That happens in this classroom because as soon as it goes off, the uh, the teacher he picks. All right, everybody's phones. Put them on the desk. Yeah, and he picks up a stick and just slams it on the desk like he's about to crack somebody's skull. I uh, just hope that that's Doctor Cha back in his younger days, right? Because it would make sense. I yeah, or it's like Doctor Cha's like cousin who went into teaching as opposed to psychology, Doctor Claw. Right. <laughs> Open up your phones, gadget. Uh, yeah, what a bizarre scene, man. I mean, it it is very nightmarish because, and again, logic kicks in. You go, why don't you just leave that phone somewhere else? <laughs> why do you carry it with you everywhere you go if you know it's going to ring, even though it's turned off? 
Yeah, I mean, it's not until the end of the movie that somebody figures out what to do with this phone. <laughs> exactly, yeah. If, if this would have happened, you know, three or four years ago, this wouldn't have been an issue. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Block caller done. Um, but <laughs> phone two is four and a half minutes long. <laughs> but... Uh, so Jenny's friend, uh, you know, like all the, the cell phones in this classroom start going off and she, uh, really takes the only recourse that she can short of just getting rid of the phone, uh, which again, logic would dictate that's what you would do. Instead, she picks up a pencil and just jams it in her ear hole. Yeah. And, uh, so we're getting this backstory uh, you know, via this interview that Juwan is doing, uh, with a friend. And, you know, she's got, uh, jacked up ears and she's wearing sunglasses. And you know, nothing good's happening behind those sunglasses. Oh, yeah. And, and so we get the reveal, uh, where the, the friend basically says, look, there's only one way. It, like, Jinhee is haunting, uh, all of us, you brought her with you. Thanks for that. Yeah, absolutely. I thought I got away from her. <laughs> right. Yeah. Way to be a jerk, you want. <laughs> but there's only one way to get away from this, which is what I did. And then she rips off the sunglasses and, and we see that she has both blinded and deafened herself. Right. Um, which not logical, but awesome. Sure. Yeah. It, it, it makes you go, wow, this is a uh, pretty distant misers there to get rid of everything. So, I would say for our drinking friends that are playing the game during the crazy classroom scene, you might want to have a drink in both hands. Yeah, right. Or, <laughs> or or one of those uh like IVs that you put in the rectum. You know, that the college kids like that, I know. It is nonstop. You know, I don't think you could funnel it fast enough, so Yeah, it's they're going off everywhere. Um It's a great scene though, man. It is it is very chaotic, very unnerving, even though Nothing really is happening. It is very unnerving. Yeah, it it, it like I said, th- this stretch of the movie where you're kind of getting the backstory of Jin He and uh, you know how she was haunted and the fact that you know she is absolutely convinced that um, it, it's uh, Jin He that is haunting her and and so forth and uh, and really gets Juwan on board as as well um, with the idea of the vengeful ghost. Uh, like, Juwan's kind of a believer after this scene. Um, but, uh, and I'm, I know I'm kind of jumping around chronologically, but th- there are kind of two separate movies happening here, which is Juwan uh, d- looking into the backstory of Jin Hee and the phone and this, this mysterious affair. And then, meanwhile, back at the ranch, <laughs> uh, Ho Jung and, uh, and Young Ju are uh, increasingly at odds. Right. Uh, to the point where we finally get a moment where Youngju is uh, awake late at night as um, Ho Jung is sleeping on the couch. Right. <laughs> oh, and that's a that's a great that's a great scene, man. Yeah, it, she go like Youngju. Uh, uh, sorry, Youngju. Uh, grabs a knife from the kitchen, pretty wicked looking butcher knife. Right. And she's alone in the house. Like we know that, um, that her husband, that Cheng Hoon is gone right now. He's at work. Um, and, uh, when she finally wakes up and there's this idea of like, Oh my God, there's going to be 
Like she's yeah. going to get stabbed or something. Instead, she just wakes up and the knife has been pierced into her face in a family photo. Right. Through the glass and the whole thing. You know, shoved it down through the glass and through the picture and into the tabletop. Yes. So needless to say, this little five, six-year-old girl, however old she is, I would put her up against uh, early Michael Myers any day. I think yeah. she's got more. I think she's got more strength in her down, <laughs> downstroke with the knife than Michael Myers does. She's got core strength. That's what's important. <laughs> it's not just all in the arm. It's core. Right. <laughs> but, <laughs> so, um, and and at some point, uh, Juwan also is sitting down with. Um, uh, like the family with, with Ching Hoon and Ho Jung and Young Ju. And she's telling them like, Hey, I think my phone is haunted by this Jin Hee chick. <laughs> when, uh, Young Ju answered the phone, I think she got a little Jin Hee in her. <laughs> and, it even, it even sounds funny this way. <laughs> yeah. And so. <laughs> Maybe you want to take her to somebody who can, I don't know, help help with, you know, a Jin He possession. And the husband, Chang Hoon, uh, which at this point, he is my favorite character because he's the only one who's like, this is stupid. Right, right. He's like, look, she we took her to a psychologist. The psychologist said she had a problem. If, if push comes to shove, maybe we can admit her somewhere. But she is not possessed. Right. Of course, she's, you know, possessed as hell. Um, which is uh, not a psychiatric term, but it should be. Uh, what, what's her problem? Possessed as hell. But, uh, so, and, and we also learn at this point that, um, Ho Jung was, was, uh, infertile that, uh, Jin, or uh, Jiwon, uh, provided eggs for her to carry this child. So, in essence, Young Ju is kind of her kid, uh, right. Juwan's kid. Even though you know she she gave her up, it wasn't you know it was a favor for a friend to donate these eggs and so forth. Friend, sister, whichever it is, and 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 she even says that she still considers her hers. The daughter, you know, the daughter being kind of hers, but at the same time, you know, she wants her to be raised as well as they can raise her and make her, you know. A fine young citizen. Right. Um, so, at at the end of the day, because uh, we, we've been talking plot for a while here, so let, let's get to the end of this movie. Because <laughs> um, there's some stuff in this movie that's just so bananas. But, all right, so, um, unconvinced that there is a possession afoot. Cheng Hoon, uh, you know, is like, we're not doing anything. And then Young Ju just disappears. Right. And so Hojun is trying to trying to find her uh and the little girl ends up showing up at the house at Bank Bai that uh Jiwon is still, right. Yeah. And then we get the the final big reveal. Or not final, there is actually two more reveals coming. One is that um we understand that Jinhee was actually having an affair with the only guy who is left alive or not in a hospital in this movie, uh, Chang Hoon, who uh, picked her up on the corner, much like uh, we we saw with uh, Jin uh, Jiwon earlier. Yep. Um, that there they started this affair. She got pregnant, and this is kind of while um, Ho Jung is at 
her in-laws. And when his wife returns, Chang Hoon kind of calls it off. And, right. um, being, That's when she goes, she goes all Glenn Close on him. Yeah, she doesn't take it well. Uh, she, you know, has, has a good old fashioned freak out, threatens to, uh, to tell, um, to reveal this affair and so forth. And, and then, um, gets real pissed off about seeing him with the, uh, the handkerchief, the monogrammed handkerchief. And it's like, you take care of everything that, you know, Hojung gives you and, you know, what you need to leave her and divorce her and we'll be together. And he's like, look, we're not going to do that. That's clearly crazy. And she's like, I didn't mean it. It's cool. Like, just, you know, just promise me we'll be together. And and she's got a very schoolgirl kind of love uh, for him, although she's, you know, clearly um, a couple of sandwiches short of a picnic, which... Right, it's, it's the crush. Yeah, it's a bad combination. Yeah. And <laughs> so, so we, we have that reveal, and we assume at this point uh, that Chang Hoon has killed her... Right. To prevent her from revealing this affair. Yep. Um, but that, Ricky, is just not the case. Exactly. And and even even leading up to that point, I mean, you were totally convinced of this. Even to some points that lead, you know, that we get to later on, it still seems that direction. So uh, that's the beauty of this film. It, it does kind of change things up. And uh, that's, that's why I said it was kind of like a giallo, because it starts making you second-guess things. And, it- uh, but... Before we get that far into it, we've got to talk about the scene at the staircase, man. You're, yes, you're right. And, and, and to your point about it being Giallo, it's also been compared to uh, a very Hitchcockian story, which is kind of synonymous. Oh, yes. Of just the twists and turns. But yes, so, all right, so when Young Ju shows up, uh, yeah. then, um, Juwan calls Ho yeah, freak, Freaking out, can't find the girl, you know, yeah. she can't, can't find the, uh, What's her name? Young Jeezy. <laughs> Young Jeezy. <laughs> she can't find Young Jeezy. And uh, she goes to to use the phone. It seems like the phone uh, connection kind of cuts off with the cell phone. So she goes to use the regular phone in the house. None of those are working. She's walking through the house, and then the doorbell rings. She runs down there and looks through the little you know security camera thing there and tries to figure out who it is and can't get anybody to answer. She goes down there and opens the door. Nobody's standing there. So she turns back around to come back in the house. And young Jeezy standing there, grinning at her. Yeah, like, like a little Chucky doll, she has slipped in behind her. Right. And, yeah. Creepy! <laughs> yeah, and I, you can't overstate the fact that uh, she is incredibly sinister in this movie. Yeah. A lot of times, uh, I, I'm like this with most movies that involve child murderers or dog, or dolls. Uh, yeah. That it's it's my punt theory. Like, I'm not afraid of anything that I can punt. Right. <laughs> Drop kick. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why the, you know, the Child's Play movies didn't have the same effect on me that, you know, they did for a lot of people. Because I was like, you just grab this thing by the head and swing it around until you toss it. That's right. Uh, but uh, in this case, this girl is just so, she's just evil. Yeah. And I have to think that uh, the the young actress who played her is either in a sanitarium or prison of some sort at this point. Um, that that all this movie did was highlight the evil that lurked within her. That's uh, it's, it's very possible. I did look her up though and saw that you know how she looks now and stuff, and she's turned out to be a nice, you know, established 
actress. She's done really well. And uh, but man, this thing here, gosh! If you ever get uh, stereotyped into a role, this has got to be it because this performance is just—I've said it before—it's just mind blowing how incredible the her performance is in this movie. Yeah, it, it's really something. And yeah. and also as a, a side note to her later career, every director she's worked with gone missing. <laughs> that's a fact. <laughs> that's that's the internet. Uh, okay. So right. I'm just saying. Nope. Note to self, never hire Yun Sing Woo to be in my movie. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she's really talented. She's going to she's gonna elevate the film, but you'll never be heard from again. <laughs> it's a one-time shot. Right. Like, you better be making Citizen Kane if you want to direct her in a movie. <laughs> oh, uh-huh. man. But during that process, she calls her mother and tells her to come over. Yes, she's over here at the house. So they're downstairs kind of talking and stuff, and they hear uh, young Jeezy talking a little bit. So they try to track her down and she's standing at the top of a staircase. And they run up and this door just slams in her face by itself, which yep. is never a good sign. When doors start shutting by themselves, just leave. Just right. leave. Yeah. You yeah. know? <laughs> you are, like, in this movie, you are up to your armpits in supernatural stuff already. Yeah. And at some point, there's got to be that straw that breaks the camel's back. And yeah, and the the ghost door, like you've had ghost hitchhikers, you've seen ghosts in mirrors, you've seen yeah. weird hair stuff. Now, uh, your your sister's daughter, your niece, is uh, acting all creepy and and sneaking into your house, and then the door slams shut and you can't get in. That's a point where you walk away. You're like, you know what? Apparently, I am not wanted here. Right? Yeah, it's time to just leave. <laughs> I'll talk to you later. Let me know how things work out. <laughs> right. Drop me a line. I'm going to have a new number, by the way. Just an <laughs> FYI. <laughs> but uh, I'll, I'll let you know what that is, and then you tell me how all this sorted out, because right now, I've, I, you know, all bets are off. But uh, this, scene, this scene right here is the one that I show everybody when I talk about this movie, because her standing at the top of this staircase, and this is, it's not CGI, it's not anything, but this girl acting. And it is so intense, so scary, that you literally stop breathing a little bit while you're watching it. When this little girl is standing at the top of a staircase and shaking frantically and saying, which one of you wants to die for me today? (laughs) Yeah, it's that is a a level of conversation from a child that is head and shoulders above one fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish, and not what you expect. Um, And And then right after that, she just does like the man from Atlantis and just takes a nosedive down the stairs, man. <laughs> Face first. Like Patrick Duffy. Like Patrick Duffy. <laughs> yeah. And and this is one of those moments that feels, uh, a, a word that comes up on the show every now and again, uh, transgressive. Yeah. Um, there's, in a, in a later episode, we talk about the movie Dream Home, which, uh, if you haven't seen it, holy crap, you need to watch Dream Home. Oh, yeah. Uh, But there's a scene in that movie that is not necessarily similar, but it it, it evokes the same emotions where you feel like you're seeing something that should never have been filmed. Right. And in this case, it's a little girl throwing herself down uh, stairs. Yeah, and and again, folks, I'm not talking just flailing her arms and flipping down steps. I'm talking about, like, running your face down every step. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's just like... Holy crap, man. Yeah, it's really something. Um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I've never seen a scene in any movie ever 
that felt as as real to me uh in terms of a child being in danger right um it's yeah it's really good like to me the big recommend of phone is this girl and this scene in particular really highlights really yeah what what this movie is willing to do to to freak you out yeah um but yeah so she she tosses herself down the stairs then the door unlocks and then they walk in and stare at her and she looks up at him. Blood is everywhere. And the little girl just looks up at him and grins. It tremendously creepy. Yeah. Yeah, it is it is something. Um so yeah, so beyond <laughs> beyond this, we also uh we we have our final reveal. Which um we start to understand what this scene was all about. Right. Uh, in, in that Jin He, um, had finally, uh, uh, all right. Well, um, uh, Ho Jung, let's start there. Ho Jung okay. discovers that this affair is happening. Like she runs across the, uh, the crazy, uh, notebook. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, that's right. Sorry. Um, yeah. So she, she runs across the crazy notebook and is reading all this stuff. There's a phone in the back of the drawer as well. Um, oh, that's how she finds it. I'm sorry. I'm totally wrong. I'm thinking of how G1 found this. No, she finds the phone in her husband's desk. Right. That has all well, the text messages. Well, at first they're driving down the road, her and the daughter, and the daughter goes, look, there's daddy over there. And he's yeah. in a car with, with the, with the, uh, Jun Hee. Yeah, and and they're having a very heated argument. So it's clear that it's not just like, oh, he picked up this girl from the side of the road and is taking her to school or something like that. Like they're having a, a relationship conversation in the car, right? And you can tell that because neither person is happy. Yeah. <laughs> so then it cuts to the scene of her sitting at his desk and going through his stuff and finding the phone and seeing the same number over and over again in the phone and the text messages, the voicemails. So, uh, she knows what's up. Yeah. Yeah. And she ends up, uh, setting a trap for Jin Hee, where she basically pose using the phone posing as, uh, Chang Hoon. She invites, uh, the girl to a park and there's a really great shot where you see, um, the two of them beside one another on a park bench Right. And it's Jin Hee in the kind of school, uh, schoolgirl kind of outfit and looking very young and very small. And then you have, uh, Ho Jung, who is very put together and you know, like much taller, uh, the way that the, the scene is shot, you know, dressed all in white and just like she looks like a grown up lady and, uh, Jin Hee looks like a child. And they have a conversation, um, Back at the, uh, bang by, like we end up there with the two women. Uh, Jin He is threatening to, um, you know, like steal the husband away, essentially. It's like, look, you know, I know that you could never give him a child. I've already done that. You know, he's going to come away with me. He hates you. He thinks yeah. you stink. Um, just trying to break her down and, and just get her to give up. And she's that desperate to hold on to this guy. Uh, so and of course <laughs> and she's like nope you're living in fantasy land he's not living leaving me and it just gets heated and uh, the pot's boiling yeah and it it gets to the point where they're at the top of the stairs 
and they're just saying raw shit to one another in a way yeah. in a way that you never see men do in movies very often um it is a very like catty kind of conversation yeah. um where they're they're cutting each other to the quick and yeah. they're getting down to yo mama jokes yeah i mean it gets to that point where it's just you know like the fertility stuff and you know, right. do you want do you want me to tell you uh, how he loved me and how many times and where? And this, right here in this room, and I mean it's it's getting it's getting squirrely. Yeah, and uh, uh, poor Ho Jung finally uh, kind of has it out, and and uh, Jin Hee goes tumbling down the stairs. Yeah, and it's it's her fault that it happens. Like she ends up, at, uh, Jin Hee ends up at the bottom of the stairs. You know, she's bleeding. It uh, looks like she's dead. And Ho-Jung, is, you know, kind of breaks down at this point. Like, she never intended to kill anybody. Um, not at first, anyway. Right. And I, one of the things I really like about this movie is there's not really a villain. You know, like, Jin-Hee is, a, you know, a, a vengeful ghost and all. But you kind of... I, you know, just she brought she brought it on herself. I mean, you know, the, she attacked you know the the wife first, yeah, and had had her in a stranglehold, and just by the luck of you know being able to either you know thrust with her feet or whatever, but you know that knocked her down the stairs. So she brought it on herself. She really did. Like, and but also um, Ho Jung, you can understand like she's fighting for her family, so you can right. understand that. And even Chang Hoon, who is, the, you know, the dude who's really the one responsible in this movie for having the yeah. affair in the first place, but he did break it off, you know, like at the, at the time she discovers the affair, you know, it appears at least that he is done, you know, he's, yes, he's keeping the phone, but it's clear from the text that she's sending and so forth that he's not really responding to her anymore. Um, and so Ho-Jung comes up with the, uh, the idea of like, I gotta, I gotta hide this. I'm not going to the police for obvious reasons because I don't want to go to jail. Um, so I'm going to, first of all, get rid of this phone, um, which as as she's like, uh, Jin-Hee has the phone clutched in her right hand. And while she's trying to pull that free... Uh, Jin Hee comes back for the, you know, kind of last scare moment, only it's not the last scare moment of the movie. Right. Yeah, she pops up like, uh, one of the demons from Evil Dead. She just pops up and comes walk at her. And then she, yeah. then she just plummets her with this statue, man. Yeah, com- just <laughs> brains her. And, yeah, and so Jin Hee drops like a sack of potatoes. And then we get, uh, the moment where Jin, not Jin Hee, but, uh, Ho Jung, is covering up her crime at where she uh, says like, Hey, I'm going to do some renovations at, at the new house. Mm-hmm. And that uh, she basically kind of, you know, cask of Amontillado's uh, uh, Jin Hee in the wall. I mean, she's dead by this point, of course, like wraps her in plastic, puts her against the wall and then bricks it up and paints over and stuff. It's quite an undertaking. Sure. She has some some real chops when it comes to construction, is all I'm saying. Like, she apparently yeah. did some wiring. She is down with Home Depot, <laughs> I'll tell you that. She, like, if there's ever a murder trial, her Home Depot receipts are going to be exhibit C, D, <laughs> E through J. There's a lot of, a lot of spackle. 
Yeah, um, I, mean, I don't know that Bob Vila could have done this good of a job. It looks really great. It, yeah, it's a really nice job, and you know, there's a, a corpse now buried in the walls of this house. Um, which, if you want a haunting, I mean, if you're looking to get your house haunted, this is the way to do it. Right. Yeah. Just make it the centerpiece of the house. Right. <laughs> You might as well just made a made a end table out of her or something. <laughs> put it put it in like a uh, like a plexiglass kind of centerpiece. <laughs> Maybe mount it over the fireplace or something. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean she is. Uh, yeah, it, it's in terms of uh, just general bad behavior and and supernatural goings on. Um, murdering someone and and breaking them up in your house is. You know, probably top three uh, yeah. in in terms of, of asking for a possession of some sort. Absolutely. Um, so now that we know that Ho Jung is the actual murderess and Cheng Hoon is, you know, just a dumb guy who had an affair, um, she ends up, uh, Ho Jung does, she ends up uh, knocking out uh, her husband. Right. Uh, killing him, actually. And tying up uh, Jiwon. Yeah, duct tapes her to a chair. Yep. And it, it lays out her evil plan, which is, hey, you know, you've you've discovered this body. You know, Jiwon, you know, finds the body in the wall uh, while while trying to find uh, uh, or unplug her phone uh, as it continues to ring, and it ends up pulling the socket out, which reveals this weird hair filled hair filled cocoon. Right. Uh, the, yeah, the hair is pulled all the way down to where the where the jack is where the computer's plugged in, and when she pulls that plug, it just starts pulling the hair out of the wall. Yeah, yeah, and it reveals everything. So it's it's a pretty cool reveal. It re- yeah, it it is very cool. The back end of this movie is just cover to cover, really solid. It is. Yeah. Um, and so once we get, uh, you know, um, Ho Jung. Uh, revealing her plan, which is like, hey, now that we've got this body out, what we're going to do is we're going to say, um, he, he killed her. You, Jin, uh, Jiwon found the body. He discovered you and murdered you and then killed yeah. himself. Yeah. He felt bad for killing you, so he couldn't take it and killed himself. Right. And meanwhile, I'm going to burn everything. <laughs> so, <laughs> so she's splashing. Uh, the uh, the gasoline around and yep. uh, you know on to Juwan, which uh, I, I like. I I have a weird thing about being burned alive. Uh, maybe it's not weird. I mean, who I, wants to be? I think, yeah, I think most people do. <laughs> right? That's, that's just called a natural fear, Bo. Shut up. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there's something about it that I, I find really unnerving. Uh, the the thought of it and and seeing somebody you know, have gasoline tossed on them. It, it, it's uncomfortable for me to watch. Right. And uh, so uh, Jiwon is all blindfolded up, doesn't know what's going on. And then we see uh, Jin Hee or, or the ghost of Jin Hee, the, the corpse begin to pull itself free from the wall, uh, bound to the, the spot by all this long hair and whatnot. Yeah, Ho Jung is actually lighting the lighter to set the gasoline on fire, right. and it keeps it keeps going out. Yeah, you know. And then while while she's doing it, she holds the lighter up, and she sees her eyes, and her eyes fix on her, and then it's on from that point on. Yeah, and we don't really see what happens. 
Um, no, no. But but we kind of don't need to. Like we know that the ghost got her. Right. And uh, and so um, the end of the movie then is you know Jiwon you know gets free and uh, the last you know part of the film is just her going to the ocean and tossing the phone in. Right. Which is what she should have done, you know, an hour before in the, in terms of runtime. Absolutely. Um, but of course the, the last thing we see is as the, the phone is floating into the murky depths, uh, it begins to ring. Yeah. Uh, yeah. so. I always leave it set up for another one if you can. Yeah. If you can, if you can set it up for a sequel, then by all means do so. Um, but I know I, I have left, uh, plenty of stuff out because there, there are a lot of twists and turns in this movie, but, uh, real quick, hit me with anything that you feel like, uh, we missed in terms of plot that we, we would be doing a disservice not to at least mention. I think plot wise you hit it. I, I think, uh, as far as watching it, you just have to kind of stick with it at some point because it does get a little squirrely in the middle. The, the beginning of it is very fast paced, very fast moving. The ending of it. Is great, and uh, I, th- I just think you got a middle section there that you kind of have to try to wade through and put pieces together, and it may be a- intentional, but I think that the way it's shot is so well done that uh, you, you kind of start overlooking that stuff. I mean, it, it's 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 very good storytelling, and I think it's laid out very well. There's just some people that I'm not sure who they are, and that may be by design, but uh, I think you nailed everything on the plot. Bone is the first time we dip our toes into a film that uses the technological and ghostly in conjunction, but it certainly won't be the last. Why do so many East Asian horror films seem to concern themselves with modern conveniences as a delivery method for terror? It helps to understand how ghosts or spirits in general are perceived. While every culture approaches the afterlife slightly differently, there is a unifying idea in East Asian society that spirits are, in fact, all around us. Like we discussed on the last episode, most of these spirits are benign, generally left to their own devices to watch over family members. But there is also a general agreement that these ghosts should be left alone, given all due respect, which often involves rituals or traditional decorations, but kept at a distance. Their world is not ours, and the less we rub elbows with those who have passed on, the better off we probably are. Couple that notion with the rising tide of modernity a wave of new ideas and cultural practices that are distinctly at odds with the traditions of the East. Technology, then, isn't just a means of telling a spooky story, but a real-world representation of all the things these cultures are wrestling with on a fundamental level. When you think of cultural history in the United States, that timeline is limited, severely so when compared to the thousands of years in which worldviews were shaped and evolved only very slowly in the East. So, a cell phone or a videotape isn't just that thing, but a symbol of the new crashing against tradition. Sometimes a cigar, as it turns out, is not just a cigar. Ringu is perhaps the most famous example of the techno-horror film from East Asia, but a cursory glance at the list of popular films include Phone, One Miss Call, which both share the idea of a cell phone being the vehicle for ghostly happenings, Pulse, Suicide Circle, or Club, depending on the version, which is about a pop song that leads people to suicide, St. John's Wart, this time using a video game as the threat, or Ghost System, in which a machine is created that helps the dead materialize. I think you can see the pattern, and that's just a few of the more famous examples. In Phone, our topic for today, 
The use of a cell phone as a mechanism for possession, which ultimately disrupts what might be seen as a traditional family, well, it isn't hard to find the subtext here. The vengeful spirit of today's movie is looking for a way into our world to exact revenge and find her justice. And what better means than the objects that we have grown so completely and immediately relying upon? Plus, it doesn't hurt that it's a new thing. In other films, specifically Ringu and Juan, video screens can also add a layer of perception. Consider the scene in Juan, which we talked about in the last episode, in which Hitomi watches a security guard become ensnared by Sadako. Hitomi sees this on the security monitor. We, as the audience, are essentially watching someone watch something. It distances us. It detaches us. In Nakato's Ringu, the scenes are often framed to blur the line between what the characters are watching and what we see. The edges of the frame sometimes overlap or disappear entirely. Sure, there is a sense of voyeurism, but it's also a technique that allows us to further diminish the line between perception and reality. Can what we see on a screen be trusted? Are these images benign entertainment or something here to harm us, maybe even kill us? It's an interesting notion to be sure, and one that I'd wager Nakato was considering when he made the film. At what point does the viewer become complicit in the horror, and how does life lived vicariously through technology affect us as people? It's certainly a very different idea than the traditional family structures being hammered by text-based interruptions and globalization through the internet. Now, do you have to weigh the conflict of tradition versus modern advances in technology and cultural mores when watching these movies? Of course not. But it helps to explain why these films resonated so deeply with the writers and directors and, ultimately, the audiences of these countries. We fear what we behold. In this case, a tide of innovation and advancement that threatens the deep-rooted beliefs of the cultures they represent. Horror films often present the best record of a nation's conflicted psyche, and here, in phone and other films, we see the technological service a proxy for a very real fear of eroding cultural identity. I point this out not just to interrupt our wonderful discussion with Ricky Morgan, but to give you the option of scratching a bit deeper, to find the real horror lurking beneath this story of possession, and also to point out that these movies aren't just weird or surprisingly random, but very much a part of the cultures from which they come. But now, back to creepy kids. What, what was your first experience with this movie? Um, usually I, I ask that in the upfront, but but this time I, there was just so much plot to go through, so we're going to do this on the back end. Like, sure. when, when you first saw this, did you immediately react? I mean, there are scenes that you can't help but react to, but did right. you fall in love with it immediately? Was, it, was, was that your experience? I really did. I, I did probably like a lot of folks did and just started picking up a lot of the Japanese or the J-horror stuff. And uh, I just took a chance on it. And it just seemed like a lot of the other ones, it was kind of like I was seeing the same kind of story. You you already kind of knew how it was going to end. And this one really surprised me. Not only by uh, there wasn't really crappy effects like you saw in some of the other ones. Uh, the storytelling in itself and the fact of I'm a huge fan of the Changeling and this one really hit home with that. It's that same kind of story. And uh, I don't know. It, it really surprised me. And again, the acting of, of the, the child actress in this, is, it just blew me away. And I just fell in love with, with it instantly. And there's not many of them that I can say that I automatically said, I, I love this movie. Yeah, I, I, I know as I was watching it, because um, I didn't watch it until uh, we were prepping for this show. You know, some one of the things I, I enjoy uh, about doing this show is that, you know, I've seen a ton of these films, but, you know, everyone's got gaps uh, right. in, in their viewing. 
And this was one of those that had been recommended and, and, uh, I knew that it was important at some point to do the show, uh, to do this film. And when I watched it, uh, you know, there were those moments where it was like, okay, like G1 gets tased in the face. That's awesome. Uh, which we skipped over in the plot, but it is <laughs> like right. the, the taser does come back, but not in a bit of beneficial way. She just gets, you know, tased in the nose, uh, which I don't know if it matters where you get tased, but that yeah. can't be good. Yeah. Um, and you know, like we were talking about the, the little girl throwing her, herself down the stairs and all that stuff. I mean, it's, there are these moments in the movie that are, unlike anything that I can recall seeing in other films. Right. And, and that was another draw, too. It just seems so well put together. And also, again, I said it earlier, the cinematography, the camera work in this is is great. I, I dare say early De Palma-ish as far as some of the, the, the way the camera moves to things and just keeping things in perspectives is really different than you see in most of these type of movies. Yeah, and one other thing I would add to that is the sound design. Yes. Is really good. Uh, you know, I, I watched it with the, the 5.1 kicking and the way that the sound effect of the phone ringing kind of crosses over the channels and everything is really, really effective. Um, but, uh, one, one quick note about this film though. When it was released, uh, in 2002, this is obviously, um, the the same time frame as things like Audition and Juan right. and Ringu. And it was coming a bit on the heels of those. Mm-hmm. And as a result, uh, when it got to reviews, uh, particularly in like, I, I think it's uh, Variety and Cinema Blend and a couple of other uh, places that reviewed the movie, because by this point, Asian horror was seen as a thing and, and was more mainstream. And a lot of people... Uh, panned the film, not, not totally panned it, but, but definitely criticized it for feeling like more of the same. Yeah. Uh, but that is also not necessarily, uh, a bad thing and, and not necessarily unintended. Um, there, there was a lot of talk by the director saying that, like, he was a fan of the Japanese and, uh, and, and further Asian wave of horror films that were coming out. And, you know, wanted to participate, really wanted to be part of that scene and, you know, made a movie that fit in that context, but also had, you know, certainly his sensibilities. Because this this thing operates differently yes. than, you know, Shudder, Juan or any of those films from, uh, you know, uh, around the Pacific at the time. Um, and it's kind of unfortunate, I think, that it gets uh, sometimes overlooked as just being another one of those movies. Right. And that's, again, like I said, taking the chance of just renting it because, uh, again, uh, you get hooked on the big ones at the time and you try to take more of this stuff in. And uh, for the most part, most of them, I don't even remember. This one, I remember. And uh, so to me, it was different enough. I mean, to some critics, horror movie is a horror movie, so they all are the same to them. So, uh, <laughs> right. So, so, so to me, this, this one is, to me, is just really well done, really well put together. And it's just different enough to give you a little spin of what you expect out of Asian horror. Yeah, yeah. And, it, you know, it, it it has a very distinct, you know, Western influence. I think that, you know, comparing it to things like The Changeling um, 
and and you know it it definitely has its roots in in sort of uh um you know standard traditions of of this kind of film but a lot of times it plays more like a thriller and interestingly this movie was pg wow yeah uh huh. yeah right that but if you think about it there's nothing really um you know offensive uh, or R rated that goes on in the film. I mean, there's a little bit of blood and certainly child endangerment well, <laughs> you know, a number of times, but well, and, and the child lip locking thing too, <laughs> I would say that'd make people go, yeah, I don't know if I want my kid to see this part or not. <laughs> <laughs> right. Don't want to give them any ideas. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they sure do grow up early nowadays. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Here you are in preschool and you don't have a husband yet. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, there, there's some stuff that, like, it, you know, we were talking about does feel kind of transgressive, but not to the point that, um, it, uh, you know, it's, it, it garners an R rating, even though I feel like, uh, this movie at times does things that are more shocking than an R rated film. Right. Uh, but yeah, was, you know, and maybe Buena Vista's influence had something to do with that of like, hey, you're going to you're going to put something out that, you know, the kids can enjoy. <laughs> you know, that's still mind blowing, man. That's just crazy. When I, I just almost fell out in the floor when it came on and then Buena Vista popped up. I was just <laughs> if anything, if anything, this movie doesn't make sense. That's it from the very get go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, Right. I mean, the fact that Disney is now like Star Wars and Marvel and all that stuff. Uh, you know, back in the day, they were doing Touchdown, which did R-rated films. Uh, 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 as a Drag- Dragon Slayer and all that stuff came out of them too. So, sure. You know. Yeah. So, I mean, they had their dark stuff that came out, but this is this is a stretch. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, and you know, this is also the first, uh, as I mentioned in the intro. Uh, like, you know, two days ago when we started this, that, <laughs> that this is the first time on the show that we're talking about uh, a movie that uses um, technology as a means of communication or possession. And I'm really fascinated by that trend because it seemed, at least in my mind, and, and perhaps there's a movie I'm missing somewhere, uh, but to me, it feels like all that started with uh, you know, Japanese horror and, and Korean horror in particular, um, that, you know, Ringu was sort of the big one, I think. Yeah. That came out and was like, oh, yeah, you know, a, a VCR can, uh, right. end your life. And in this case, it's, you know, a cell phone. And then, you, you know, there's, uh, uh, Kaido, uh, or, or Pulse that does, right. treads some of the same territory. Right. Um, but I'm, I'm always um, intrigued by the notion of advancements in both, you know, culture and technology being seen as a source of terror. Right. Well, I mean, how do you win the end game? How do you make people scared of what they deal with on a day-to-day basis? It's kind of like, you know, nobody even worried about picking up hitchhikers till Texas Chainsaw came out. So... When you can start relating it to things that are just a day-to-day use, you know, new technology that everybody's crazy about and turn it into, what if it was used for bringing back, you know, demon incantations or, you know, whatever, ghost, whatever you want to <laughs> throw at it. Right. And uh, that's that's how you win. I mean, use the technology of the time and it, it kind of pigeonholes you to that time period. 
So just like this, I mean, Motorola, are they even around anymore? I think they still do some things, don't they? I, I think, I, I think they do. I, I'm sure that, uh, you know, they have a, a like a, a stall in a radio shack somewhere, like right. one of the four that <laughs> remain. So, you know, the key to that is like, well, as long as I don't have a Motorola, I'm not worried about it, right? But, you know, (laughs) they'll keep changing it to whatever the new technology is. And, you know, to me, that reminds me of kind of what Cronenberg always did. You know, what if you had science, but what if this happened? So it's always the what if that you can play off of. And it really gets into uh, everybody's psyche of how we use these things. And is there an evil behind what we're using on a day-to-day basis? So it just makes you rethink some things. Yeah, and to me, there's almost this urban legend element of it of like, hey, if if you, you know, keep a cell phone in your pocket, uh, it makes you sterile. Or if you listen or if you have the cell, uh, cell phone up to your head too long, it's going to give you a tumor. That kind of thing of this thing that that becomes eponymous in our lives. Yeah. But we we don't know that much about it. You know, like right. we're it's still new. Uh, and I think that's really I, I just think that's human nature of here's this thing that is all around us and it's, it's new enough, uh, right. as you said, that, um, we don't fully understand its, its implications. Right. Um, I mean, it's our nature to fear the things we don't understand. And, uh, when somebody can take that and, and run with it, then it makes it double fold scary for people. Yeah. It's, I, man, I just, I, I really, really enjoy. Uh, this movie for taking that, that kind of trope that you saw in, you know, Ringu and, and that sort of thing. And then marrying it to, I mean, this movie is almost three films. It's, right. it, it's the stalker story and the, the sex scandal story that we get in, in the beginning that gets kind of abandoned. Um, it's, you know, the, the story of the affair and, and the murders and then kind of on top of it and, and running through it is the ghost and possession stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, surprisingly it works better than it ought to. Right. And again, I think that's, that may be what drew me to it because it does have all these elements thrown into one movie and you know, it's, it's like an ultimate sandwich. You get a little bit of everything, you know? Yeah. No, it is, it is like a, a delicious deli sandwich of horror. Um, with maybe a condiment of pedophilia, uh, <laughs> just like a spicy aioli. Uh, but yeah, it's it, it is it, it's a weird collection of, of ideas for sure. And um, on Bianchi, uh, the director and and uh, co writer of the film as well, um, you know, has done a, a number of films uh, that we will be talking about on this show over time. Um, but this is easily the most popular. This is one of those movies that when, um, like long ago, and by long ago, I mean like a month, um, <laughs> that I put a poll up on the, on the Facebook group saying like, you know, Hey, what, what are your favorite Asian horror films? And this one did really well. And then this was at a time I hadn't seen the movie yet, but this one and verses were, oh, yeah. were the two that seemed most popular. And much like Versus, I feel like it's also one of the the films that is most Western in its approach and execution. Right. And I think maybe there's something that, you know, for a Western audience does feel familiar uh, to an extent, but also uh, packs some surprises that maybe, you know, a, a viewer that hadn't listened to this show and was seeing the film for the first time 
uh, you know, when that little girl throws herself down the stairs, you're like, what am I watching? Right. Uh, and, and what will this film do next? And a little bit of unpredictability goes a long way with me. Right. Right. Because if they're smart enough to do it this time, what's around the corner? And uh, again, it's just that's just good filmmaking. And uh, I think you're right. I think it's the fact of um, it's it's a little more relatable to us here. You know, like you said, in Western civilization, it it it, it has a little more uh, understanding, I guess you would say. You just relate to it a little easier. And uh, like I said, you're not going to get bored. There's so much stuff getting thrown at you all the time. I was amazed at my notes when I was taking them, and I was only 20 minutes in, and I was on, like, the third page of notes, and I was like, holy crap. Man, you know, there's so much in this movie. So even though we've taken a long time to talk about it, we're still not really doing justice as far as everything that's in this movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's one of those that you kind of have to see to believe um, for all the right reasons, except maybe, as you said, that middle section that gets squirrely, which is the best description of some of those moments, like with the detective and the stalker, where you're just like, what? Who's what now? Yeah. Um, but I, you know, that stuff, if you're willing to kind of hang with the movie, the third act of this thing is just a winner. It is, um, without a doubt. You know, the, oh, the second act is where we, we've got some question marks, but, uh, it opens and ends real, real strong. Yeah. Um, all right, man. Uh, look, before, uh, I cut you loose, I would be, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you if there were any, uh, final thoughts you had about the uh, the film Phone, um, which uh, is completely separate from the film Phone Booth uh, <laughs> with Colin Farrell. Um, that was my mistake initially. <laughs> well, I'm glad. Like, this well, isn't scary at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, this movie was actually scheduled to be remade in, in 2009, and I don't know what happened there. They've dropped the ball to make a an American version of it, and, and it may be because of what you were saying with the reviews and stuff. They might have thought it had been too big of a chance, but uh, I just think it's really, really strong. I think it's different enough that you don't feel like you're watching the same old stuff that you see in these other movies. The effects are great. The cinematography is great. Uh, it's it's a top-notch made film. It does have its flaws, like anything does, but uh, I just really, really enjoy it. And I think anybody out there that's either seen this or is thinking about seeing this, I guarantee you when you see this little girl, you're just going to be blown away. And uh, I hate to keep focusing on her, but I'm telling you, her performance just buries everything else that happens. Yeah, so what? There's a ghost. Look at this little girl, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, uh... Yeah, I, it's, it, absolutely, it's, yeah. It's a very entertaining, well-made film. And uh, it just really stood out. And uh, I, I'm glad I discovered it. Yeah, and uh, and and thank you again uh, uh, for for doing the show and and talking about the this film as enthusiastically. And I feel like um, when I go back and and listen to this during the edit, there are going to be four things that you said that I didn't find it as funny as I should have the first time. Um, <laughs> so I apologize for that now, but I'll, I will thank you in advance for that. Well, see, I'm easily entertained, so, uh, you know, I make myself laugh, and, you know, that's not a good thing, but sometimes some people laugh. <laughs> yeah, that, that's all you can hope for in life, you know? Uh, just, it, it's a very being there kind of uh, philosophy uh, that I, I, I maintain and think most people should have, which is just, you know what, go with the flow. Everything's right. going to be fine. Um, Absolutely. And as long as, you don't, as long as you don't buy Motorola, you're fine. 
Yes, if you can avoid Motorola phones, and preferably, uh, you know, kind of uh, taking taking a house uh, from a, a friend or sister, depending on which article you're reading, um, that uh, has a, uh, a bricked up uh, Korean schoolgirl in it. Um, I know a lot of people uh, overlook that when they're buying their first home, but really, it's something like, yeah, you're going to get it cheaper, but... If you're you pay for it on the front or you pay for it on the back, and that's a case where you pay for it on the back, mostly yeah. with possessed children. <laughs> and I'll rephrase my statement: uh, I'm not dissing on Motorola because of uh, a crappy product. I'm dissing them because of that, you know, ninety-nine point nine percent chance you're safe. It's that it's that point percent that you got to worry about. Yeah, yeah, no, that point <laughs> one's gonna bite you. Uh, you, you you better hope that you're not the one in a million. Uh, that that gets the Gen He phone. Uh, yeah, if you ever like, if you're ever buying a phone from now on, and this is a, the real takeaway for uh, from the movie for me is if you go to buy a phone and they tell you there's only one number available. Yeah, forget it. Yeah, that's a cursed number. It's a cursed number. You just know it. Uh, um, no matter what kind of plan discount they give you on that, don't don't take it. That's right. Um, all right. So uh, as I said before, you can find. Uh, Ricky here on uh, the Helming Power Hour, along with uh, his co-host Danny, and yep. uh, at some point I'll, I'll wrangle him on the show as well. And and um, man, I can't recommend this show enough. I you know I I I, I know that I plug a lot of shows. Are you talking about my? You talking about our show? I'm talking about your show. Oh, okay, cool. That. <laughs> Now you're on board. Uh, Unless you're talking about you know, it's the show we're doing. So, no, hey, okay. Hey, Ming, go for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, so, I, I, a lot of times, the guests I have are, are fellow podcasters, and I and I, I tell you, listen to their show, um, and I always mean it. I really do. But this time, I really, really, really mean it. Um, <laughs> you really should be listening to the Helming Power Hour, uh, which you can find on iTunes. Uh, you know, just do a search for Helming Power Hour. Um, because you guys talk about far more than horror films. It's really just cult films right? that you guys do, and uh, and it, it's really a hoot. Yeah, I mean, we could do Texas Chainsaw Massacre and then do The Great Muppet Caper in the same show. You just never know. And, or Flashdance, which <laughs> keeps coming up, and at some point you guys are going to have to do that movie. Oh, I don't know if that's going to happen. It, uh. <laughs> I, I feel like if it, I, like that should be the last show. Maybe so. It'd be our, our farewell. <laughs> right. It's just. I well, we did say it in the commercial. If we if we watch Flashdance, we have to destroy the Earth after that. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, hey, I just want to say, man, uh, and of course he's he's you know building up the show here, but really this show doesn't happen without Bo and without Duncan helping out as well. And and uh, we are grateful that that uh, you just took us in and just let it run, man. And and we're just having a blast. But really, it, it didn't happen without uh, without you taking us under your wing and saying, all right, let's go. Uh, I, I appreciate it, but uh, I've got some notes. We'll talk about that after, after the show. <laughs> um, there are going to be some things are going to change around here. Uh, oh, no, no, no. It's, it, it's great. Uh, you, well, you know, Helming is just one of those little gems that when when you when you listen to the show, you understand that the people that you're listening to um, are are as goofy as you could hope. For. 
you know, and I say that with nothing but respect and love, but goofiness is a big thing for me. And it is, there are times on that show that are, are definitely goofy. Like I said, Mickey Mouse does the, the synopses. What do you want? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, we bring in a, a bad, uh, imitation of somebody different every week just to do the synopsis so uh, yeah the, it's, it's a lot of fun the christopher walken is that was a <laughs> bad walking impression <laughs> it, it, i mean not for nothing and and there are a lot of bad ones out there but that one i think was uniquely bad <laughs> so. but, but what's what's funny is those, those they're all the same guy <laughs> every one of the synopsis is written is is Spoken by the same guy. I just drive to his house and say, hey, I need you to do just one of the guys. And he'll just make up a voice there on the spot. And I record him like two takes and it's done. So uh, his name's Jacob Canada. He's a buddy of mine. But uh, all the synopsis are, are him. Ah, oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. All right. Uh, so that is phone. Uh, and, and Ricky sit there uncomfortably as we wrap this up. Uh, <laughs> featuring... Uh, the creepiest kid you'll ever see, and more than a little bit of editing oddness. Um, we're going to be back next week to discuss the Hong Kong slasher Dream Home. And and really, uh, I know I've been doing a lot of asides, but seriously, do yourselves a favor and check that movie out before we discuss it. I, I promise you, if you're a horror fan, there's going to be something that you're going to love about that movie. Uh, in the meantime, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash hero hero go show. And you can drop us a line and uh, tell us what you'd like to see here on the show at hero hero at legion podcasts.com. Uh, or ask some questions. I'll read them on the air. I don't care. I'm, I'm freewheeling. Uh, while we're sitting, uh, all the family business, um, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes. And while you're there, do us a big, big favor and leave a rating. And hey, why not tell that Asian horror newbie friend of yours about the show? Uh, it'll make you feel better, I promise. So, for Ricky Morgan, I'm Bo Ranstall, and now as much Molise as I can legally play for you. No